It was a jam-packed night of NBA games filled with playoff implications. We're going to break down exactly what happened and what you need to know from last night's slate of games. Then we're going to take a look at Kevin Love coming out in the Players' Tribune talking about his panic attacks, mental illness. This is a topic that's been around the NBA over the past couple of weeks. And I'm going to say why it's important and why that should be the bigger topic of conversation than teams tanking. And then finally, we're going to preview Wednesday night's slate of games for you, get you all set for the evening. That's right. It's Wednesday's edition of Locked On NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA, the only 30-minute or less daily NBA podcast recapping the games that happened the night before in the association, talking about the biggest topics in the league, and previewing that night's slate of games. Perfect for your morning commute or evening commute, even time at the gym. I'm your Wednesday host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast and credential member of the media here in New Orleans. Normally, I'm joined by my co-host, John Corrales. Some technical difficulties made it so we weren't able to record together, but give him a follow on Twitter. It's at RedsArmy underscore John. But I'm going to take you around the league in what section we are calling too long, didn't watch. So let's just jump right on into everything. We start with Philadelphia at Charlotte, a game Philly wins 128-114. It was a tight game that Charlotte actually led 46-44 with 7-10 to go in the first half, but Philly went on a 27-13 run, scoring 39 points in the second quarter and never looked back. The Philly starters scored 89 points. They kind of have a deep team there with seven guys in double figures led, surprisingly, by Robert Covington. Charlotte, the defense struggled at the wrong time. They've given up 134 to Boston, 110 to Philly, 103 to Toronto, and now 128 to Philly. There's a lot of things wrong there. Kemba had an off-shooting night. Quiet night from him. Wasn't able to help them get the victory. We then move on to Atlanta at Toronto. Toronto won 106-90 in a game that the Raptors kind of slept through before waking up in time to win their fifth straight game and the sweep with the series with Atlanta. Uh, with the, yeah, with Atlanta. The Raptors finished the final 9-14 of the game on a 25-9 run, including at one point it was a 16-0 run they had in there, to win this one very easily and going away. Atlanta actually led for most of the first half, but they shot very poorly in the third and fourth and finished shooting just 42.5% from the field and 28.6 from three-point range. They had a 90.7 offensive rating. Rookie John Collins was a bit of a bright spot for Atlanta. He's been a bit of a bright spot this season, led the team with 14 points. For Toronto, their bench mob does it again, and much of that run they went on was fueled by C.J. Miles, Fred Van Vliet, DeLon Wright, Jacob Podol. They're a deep team and showing you why they've kind of changed their approach to certain things. Kyle Lowry had a very quiet game in this one, and they still won by 16. There's a big reason why they're at the top of the Eastern Conference. 
It was a fun game over in D.C. with Miami taking on the Wizards. Washington wins 117-113 in overtime. Washington stormed out to a big lead early, and even though they blew that lead, they only gave it once up once early in the fourth quarter. Dwayne Wade tried to recapture the magic again, and he had a clutch and one to tie it. But Miami, on the second night of a back-to-back, could never get over the hump in overtime, even though the Wizards really tried to let them and made this game more difficult on themselves than it needed to be. I am having so much fun watching Dwayne Wade maybe, maybe finish out his career there in Miami. He is still smart, this kind of savvy veteran to get that and one. He's clutch. I'm just enjoying this. He finished with 22 points on the night. Washington broke a three-game losing streak. They can now take the tiebreaker with Miami with a win, um, and they see them again on Saturday, and then they actually stay in the mix for home court advantage in the first round. Another big game last night was Houston taking on Oklahoma City, a game that the Rockets won 122-112. to Basically, this was just a slow imposition of Houston's will that crushed OKC under its weight. Aside from a brief closing of the gap in the third quarter, this one was all Rockets. After it got as close as three, the Rockets pushed it to 19 in the fourth before winning by 10, their 16th win in a row. Houston shot 17 of 33 from deep. That's 51.5%, kind of what they do. And in this kind of going away win, they had low minutes on the starters, which is important because they do play tonight. They took 34 free throws compared to just 11 for Oklahoma City, and that might also be because Oklahoma City has maybe the most boring and predictable offense I've seen in a long time. Oklahoma City on defense has been struggling recently. Before losing Andre Roberson to injury, they were 5th in defensive efficiency and 10th in field goal percentage allowed. Since losing Andre Roberson to injury, they're 23rd in defensive efficiency and just 24th in field goal percentage allowed. The big shocker on the night was definitely Denver at Dallas, a game that the Mavericks won 118-107. to Denver had a halftime lead, but a 17-3 Mavs run, which was part of a 28-23 third quarter, put Denver in a position that they could not recover from. We thought last week's loss to the Clippers was a crusher for Denver. That one cost them the Clippers with the tie, uh, the tiebreaker with the Clippers, and they're now fighting with the Clippers for the eighth seed. This is a weird game. It looked like Denver just didn't care in the fourth quarter and threw in the towel, and I don't know what Coach Mike Malone was thinking. You didn't see Jokic or Murray play a minute in the fourth. Gary Harris and Paul Millsap played under three minutes in the final period. Denver just had an off night. They shot under 30% from the field, and this was a bad time to have a off night. Dallas shot 15 of 27 from three. Dallas, that is not how you tank, but as a Pelicans guy and the guy that covers the team, I'm going to be okay with this end result. Another game that went on was the Knicks taking on Portland. Portland wins 111-87 in what's basically just the Damian Lillard show. The Knicks sort of kept it respectable early, and Portland's lead was as low as three right before half, but then a 30-19 third quarter happened, and Portland coasted for its eighth straight win. Going back to his 50-point game on February 9th versus Sacramento, Lillard has put up 50, 39, 44, 24, 40, 26, 35, 20, 
39 and 37 tonight in just 31 minutes. The dude was 8 of 11 from deep. He was just firing away. He's maybe going to be in the MVP discussion as Portland goes up to third in the Western Conference with this victory. Nothing really of note from the New York Knicks, so I just kind of want to throw this out there. I don't enjoy the players-only nights on TNT. It's rather boring. I think it shows just how hard it is to actually be a good play-by-play -play and TV guy in the NBA. Moving right along, we got the Nets taking on the Golden State Warriors out in California with the Dubs winning 114-101. to Dubs were hot out of the gate, but the Nets answered Golden State's 35-19 first quarter with a 34-13 second quarter that gave Brooklyn a 53-48 lead. The Nets actually led 78-77 with 134 left in the third, but then the Warriors woke up and it went and went on a 29 to 11 run to break it wide open. Nets went on a bit of a late run to get it cosmetically close, but this one wasn't ever in doubt. Brooklyn plays hard and they don't quit, and you've got to like the job that Kenny Atkinson is doing with a fairly, fairly limited talent pool there and talented roster there in Brooklyn. They've got some young guys that really go out and try, as this team should, because they don't own their first-round pick, so there's no point to tank, and we're going to talk about tanking and the league kind of intervening on that in just a moment here, but you've got to like that they at least go out and just don't fold and not care anymore. Golden State doesn't really play hard until they need to. They certainly didn't uh, last night. Though Curry cooked 34 points. He was 12 of 20 on the night, 6 of 12 from 3. They have enough talent and just we know who they are that they can go ahead and do this. Then the big game on the night, at least for myself, and the one with maybe the biggest playoff implications, was the Pelicans taking on the Clippers in the late game on TNT, a 121-116 Pels win. And as I record this in the morning of the next day, I think I can finally start breathing again. This was a game that didn't feature much defense throughout the first half. Then Anthony Davis left with an injury to his ribs, took a bit of a shot going up for a board against DeAndre Jordan. He was in considerable amount of pain. I started to freak out tremendously as when they showed him walking to the locker room he was throwing up but he came back out to start the third and the Pelicans had managed to weather the storm to close the uh, the first half on a run led by Drew Holiday who's playing some of the best defense you've seen and is playing outstanding on offense the best basketball of his career in the third it was the Anthony Davis show as he took over on the night gave the Pelicans a 20-point lead but then Lou Williams got hot in the fourth and the Clippers went on a run to actually take the lead. It was a battle back and forth and luckily the Pelicans get a victory after Lou Williams misses two really important free throws to kind of keep them in it. Pelicans managed to ice it with free throws of their own. They're on a nine game winning streak. So that's it. Like we said, you probably didn't watch all the games, so we've got the too long, didn't watch recap for you here every Wednesday with myself, Jake Madison, and my co-host, who's unfortunately not able to be here today due to some technical difficulties, John Krause, host of the Locked on Celtics podcast. Again, give him a follow on Twitter. It's at RedsArmy underscore John. So the biggest story in the NBA on Tuesday, there were really two, but the biggest one that I think that carries the most weight in the league is what Kevin Love said in the Players' Tribune, talking about the anxiety he's faced this year in particular, some of his depression issues, suffering two panic attacks in games, 
And this goes to show you how widespread and big of an issue mental health is and something that maybe isn't taken as seriously as it should be. And I'm not a doctor, just speaking from my opinions here, um, partially because there is a bit of a stigma and maybe a taboo associated with it that people feel, particularly for professional athletes, you just need to kind of tough this stuff out. And we kind of go in with that macho attitude, which really isn't the best way to approach it. And when you look at it and hear about an NBA player who suffered a panic attack in the middle of a game and couldn't return and had to be taken to a hospital, you've got to see that this can affect people of all walks of life and it can seriously impact their ability to do their jobs, how they interact with the world and everything. And to come out and say this when he's supposed to be kind of this macho guy, big sports player, right? You know, I think you've got to give him a lot of credit and stand up and applaud Kevin Love. And the same for DeMar DeRozan, who recently spoke out about his issues and struggles with depression, something that affects a wide amount of people in our country and around the world. So I think this is a very important conversation to have. And again, I love when athletes use their platforms to bring awareness and try and use it in constructive ways. Kevin Love talked about how he's kept everything in for so long. He was struggling with the death of his grandmother and other issues associated with his family. He never really talked to anyone. And look what it kind of created. And again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not trying to diagnose him. But it sounds like being able to talk with people is definitely going to be an important thing. And we've seen mental health issues in the NBA before. Think about something with a guy who was drafted Royce White, I think by Houston, where he had a lot of anxiety, couldn't handle being on planes, had to travel with the team in another way, missed some games because of that. And this is a thing that the NBA maybe needs to start looking at and to start addressing. And, you know, while they're at the forefront of looking at technology to track player movements for data and other things, we've learned how important rest and recovery is to players and keeping them healthy. But what about mental health? What's the NBA doing to try and help their players just cope with being very public figures? NBA players tend to be more in the public eye, I think, than other sports and other athletes in different professions. You don't necessarily know what a lot of NFL players look like because they wear helmets. Their personality isn't just on display on a nightly basis with the way they act like it is for NBA players. I think that's a very big thing that can factor into this. I'd love to see teams maybe keeping a behavioral psychologist with them or just a therapist, anything really that can help these players cope with some of the struggles that they have. Mental health is important and anyone dealing with issues should feel comfortable to go and get help in whatever capacity they see fit and feel comfortable with. I can tell you guys from personal experience, I've had a friend I've lost due to mental issues. And if you maybe had talked to someone, who knows what would have been the difference, but it couldn't have hurt. You know, I've struggled with it at times. You just get down. Life is hard. So being able to be open about this and not kind of feeling that stigma to it and that you need to just kind of put on a brave face and go out there is a really big thing. And Kevin Love talking about this in the personal tone that he does, I think is a great first step. Same for DeMar DeRozan. These guys are out there talking about this. They can use their platforms to create some change, whether it's on a little level or a big level, or just inspire other people to get help for what they're dealing with and show the way that people can do that going forward. And I would love to see the NBA create some program to help with this and everything. One thing I don't like the NBA doing, and I understand where they're coming from, though, 
is this anti-tanking policy that they're kind of trying to enforce to a, a larger degree and be stricter about this season than in years past. If you haven't heard, the NBA supposedly sent a memo to the Chicago Bulls telling them they needed to pr uh, play Robin Lopez more, they needed to play Justin Holiday more. Instead of benching those guys, giving them DMP, coaches' decisions or what have you, and trying to get them to put more competitive players or better players on the court than what they've been doing so far. Look, tanking can be an issue in the NBA. I don't think this is the way to go about handling it, but let me explain why the NBA might be looking at it through this lens. They're all about making money and promoting the game. They are not there to help individual franchises necessarily. They want to make the most money and grow this league, and you don't do that by putting an inferior product on the court. The Bulls are doing what some of the other teams are doing under the disguise of playing your young guys. I get it. That's not a great way to have games that people want to watch. There's an article out there about the Warriors moving to their new arena and how it's going to price a lot of fans out. And a lot of those fans have said, eh, it's cool. We don't need to pay all of this money to watch the Warriors kill the Suns, you know, on a nightly basis or whoever they're playing. I get it. Now, if the, you know, both teams are trotting out competitive lineups, it's a different story. And that's what the NBA is trying to enforce. However, I don't like this kind of meddling on a team level. I'm not a big Sam Hinkie guy, to be honest, though that's a discussion for another day. And I do not like when the league really kind of went in there and more or less forced him out. These teams are private things. They can kind of be run how they like. And if that means going a different strategy that doesn't put the most competitive uh, team out on the court, as long as you're just not outright tanking and trying to lose games, and I think if you're playing some of your younger guys to get them experience in a lost season... If you're doing this to start the year, that's one thing. But at this point, there's about 20 or so games left. And what have the Chicago Bulls left to play for other than maybe seasoning these guys and getting them some burn a little bit more? I think there's no issue to me with there, with that. What this really comes off across to me as, again, follow the money. The NBA is at the forefront of trying to legalize sports betting. You cannot have the integrity of your game compromised, even if it is under the guise of playing young guys and not having the most competitive games possible, if you want people betting on them to generate action that you then take a percentage of. I think this is a way of the NBA showing to all the agencies that kind of regulate this sort of thing that they take this seriously and that their game is not for sale. The integrity is going to be the highest. It's going to be competitive and present something fair and fun, I guess, that people want to bet on. That's what this reeks of to me because what I saw the Bulls doing, not that they have a ton of young guys that look particularly great, again, discussion maybe for Locked On Bulls instead, but to me, I don't see an issue with what the Bulls were doing and I don't like the NBA necessarily meddling as much as they should be on an individual franchise level. And think about that coming from me, the guy who covers the New Orleans Pelicans with the reverse trade from years ago, which saved some basketball there in New Orleans. It's still not a good precedent to set, in my opinion. Before we quickly bounce around the league and preview tonight's games, don't forget to subscribe to Locked On NBA. No other podcast is coming to you daily like this, recapping the action from the night before, talking about the biggest stories, and then previewing that night's games. We do this in all 30 minutes or less. I sound like a, a TV pitch man here, but it's true. You don't have time to listen to an hour to two hour long podcast. You need something for your drive to work, your drive home from work, your time at the gym. Catch up around the league. You're busy. It 
it'll also help you just kind of be a smarter NBA fan. So I'm starting to get up against the clock here. So let's preview Wednesday night's games. We're going to start with Utah at Indiana. The Jazz have the best defense since Rudy Gobert has been back, and they're going against a top 10 offense right now. The Jazz have an easy schedule the rest of the way, putting them maybe in prime playoff contention spots here. But the West is so tight, you can't hope to get wins down the road in every game matters. So this is going to be kind of one of those games where it's strength versus strength. I think I got my money on the Jazz on this one. Next week up, we've got Memphis at Chicago. Talk about tanking and teams that don't care. This game is gross. Basically, just don't watch it and let's move on to something else. We've got Toronto at Detroit. The Raptors on the second night of a back-to-back. They cruised, as we recapped in the beginning, to a fairly easy win Tuesday. And no one really played heavy minutes there with a quiet game from Kyle Lowry. But Toronto, as I lose my voice has Houston coming up at home on Friday. They might be looking ahead, and this kind of has the makings of a trap game. Speaking of Houston, they travel to take on Milwaukee. I think Houston's going to have a big day in this one, bombing threes, and I can't even imagine how many free throws James Harden's going to be, maybe making this game unwatchable. The Bucks are the 26th worst team when it comes to free throws allowed. You thought the 34 that Houston had last night was a lot? They're going to have a lot more, I think, in this one. Maybe Giannis is going to have a big game. He, you can certainly score inside on this um, Houston defense. If he does, they might be able to keep it close, but I see the Rockets kind of running away with this one. We've then got the Pelicans at the Kings in a game that's near and dear to my heart here. The Pelicans go for their 10th straight win. They used a lot of energy in that Clippers game to kind of blow the lead, then regain it and close the game out. You got Anthony Davis a little bit banged up. Sacramento actually has two wins over the Pelicans so far this season, both in New Orleans, and the Pelicans have played down to the level of this Kings team multiple times. They've changed that mentality. This isn't the same team that we saw earlier in the year kind of do that and not come out engaged and playing with energy and effort. New Orleans shows up and plays with that level of play that we've seen from them. This should be an easy win for them. Then we've got Cleveland at Denver. This is going to be an interesting one. The Cavs can keep up with Denver offensively, and it's basically going to come down to who plays defense first. Denver's got one of the worst defenses in the league. They looked like they were turning it around. Not so much. We know the problems with Cleveland's defense. Denver shot 54.3% from deep in their past matchup on Saturday. They do that. I don't know if Cleveland's going to have that much offensively. You're going to need to get... Uh, Denver and run them off that three-point line. Denver also has played the Cavs both times on the second night of a back-to-back, so not ideal for them. We finally wrap up with the Magic at the Lakers. Gotta really like what you've seen from this Lakers team. The young guys playing with energy, playing with some confidence. They really have nothing to lose. They're kind of in a similar position to the Brooklyn Nets where you're not really going to have your pick, so you may as well go out and win as many games as possible. Um, Orlando just looks like they really want the season to end. They don't really seem to care. You have to figure this front office is maybe going to blow it up a little bit. But there's still talent there. They've got Vucevic. They've got Aaron Gordon. Those guys can go out and score. And if the Lakers think they can just kind of waltz through this one and win on their talent alone, they might get surprised and kind of, you know, put a minor setback to what the Lakers are trying to build. But still, the Lakers' effort and the high level that they're playing at should propel them to the win.
So that's going to do it for the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. Don't forget to subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast, the only daily podcast covering games this quickly for y'all, previewing it, and then talking about the biggest stories. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. As always, I'm your Wednesday host, Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, credential member of the media here in New Orleans. You can give me a follow on Twitter, at Nola Jake. Normally joined by John Krause, host of Locked On Celtics. Give him a follow as well, at Reds Army underscore John. He'll definitely be back with me next week. So enjoy the podcast. Enjoy tomorrow. David Locke will be back with you as he is every Thursday. And I'll see you all next week.